This is an audio presentation of God First Church, Cheltenham, England. A community of Jesus followers, worshipping God first, proclaiming God first, and together living God first lives. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk. Today we're going to have some uh, a scripture reading first, um, so if you can get, can you hear me all right? It's a little echoey, I think, but not much. So, good. Ah, here we go. So, our passage for today, 1 Peter 1, 3 to 8, says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now, for now, a little while, um, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in the praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. This is the word of God. Uh, Well, today um, we're we're celebrating, of course, Easter, um, uh, when Christ rose again from the dead. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read um, a book, I like to start at the end. Anybody do that? Maybe kind of check out the end, just to make sure it's worth investing your time in. Yeah, yeah, Because yeah. otherwise you get to the end of the thing and everybody dies and it's just horrible. Yeah, yeah, exactly like Alice in Wonderland. It was all a dream. I don't think I'd call that a dream, Mr. Lewis Carroll. But anyway, um, <coughs> but anyway so you, you want to know, I like to know what the ending is. Now, this story, the resurrection story, we know the ending to this. It's a great story, so I'm worthy to, or uh, ready to uh, dive into it and, and go for it, right? Okay, um, but uh, this story is not um, as straightforward as I'd like, I wish it were. Um, we're going to look into it. The BBC uh, put out a, a, a poll not too long ago, you know about this, where they uh, claimed that a quarter of Christians don't believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. A quarter of Christians. Now, you'd think that'd be a little bit key to being a Christian, I read another article that actually looked at it and kind of broke down those stats. And they, they saw that the, the poll that uh, the BBC did through Comrades um, actually didn't make a distinction between active and inactive Christians. And so if you do that, if you kind of look at, okay, wait a minute, what do active Christians believe? Um, 90-some-odd percent of them do believe, whereas only about 60-some-odd percent of inactive Christians believe. And, but what's really interesting about these stats is that actually... Even though inactive Christians are much more like non-Christians, there's still a significant amount of both non-Christians and inactive Christians that actually do believe in the resurrection. I find that very encouraging, except 
that it doesn't have an effect on their life. It doesn't change their behavior. It doesn't change who they are. And that's the problem, I think. So today, we're not going to look at historical proofs for the resurrection. Hey, if you want to talk that, find me afterwards. I'd love to talk with you about some of the proofs that we have um, uh, and why we believe that Jesus actually did rise from the dead. Um, But what we're going to be looking at is the so what question. So what? What difference does that make? Why should I bother, you know, what what good is that to me to know that stuff? Um, And so that's what we're going to look at today. Um, You might say that in that last week of Jesus' life here on earth, um, or at least before the crucifixion anyway, he had 40 days after the resurrection, but um, it was kind of an off week, yeah? You have one of these? Um, you, have, you know, he had um, all the people that he was teaching kind of run away on him, uh, decide to uh, abandon him. He had the religious institutions that, you know, the faith that he was promoting through his whole life uh, not only turned on him, but uh, gave him over to the authorities. This would be like the, the, the guys over at Advance HQ, you know, P.J. Smith and, and Donnie, uh, taking Howard and giving him over to ISIS. Have fun. <laughs> you know, have a good day. Um, it's kind of like that. The people that you're serving under and serving with betraying you like that. You know, and I think, you know, maybe worst of all is that one of his best friends, Peter, as we know, denied him three times. How do you... Okay, this is... Does it culturally translate? I don't know. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> how do you get... You know, how do you show your face again with the humiliation, you know? No, but it, it's a tough, you know, yeah, very rough week. And I think the question I had in coming to this week of Jesus' life is, why would he want to come back to that? You know, everyone in his life had rejected him, possible exception of his mother, but, you know, and John maybe. But, uh, you know, everyone had turned on him. Why would you want to come back? Why bother? They're not going to be any different when you get back. Why come back? Why rise again? Why bother? Um, I think there, there's several reasons we can come back. and I think understanding why Jesus did can, can teach us what the relevance of his, his resurrection was for us. And that's what I want to look at is those secrets. Now, there's some things, sometimes when we get knocked down, that um, we, we, it's not that actually that hard to get back up. I remember I was, uh, I was in athletics in high school, uh, believe it or not. <clears throat> it was a long time ago. All right. Yeah, I used to be fast, but anyway, not anymore. Um, and, uh, and I was running a half mile race, um, and on those stupid, I, they were, they had us lined up along the curve on the, on the track, you know, rather than staggered, you know? And, um, and so in the start of the race, um, somebody stepped on my foot and I was down. Okay. So, and by the time I got back up, they were hundred meters ahead of me, right? Well, that's when the Rocky soundtrack goes in your head, dun 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 dun. dun, dun. You know, and you get back up and you're just well, on it to get you know to catch everybody else. And I did catch everybody else. Of course, that was only about 600 meters into it, and then I kind of lost some wind. Um, I, I think I still came third, but it was all right. But so there's sometimes when you know you get that adrenaline pumping and you can come back when you're knocked down. You know, maybe maybe you've lost your job or maybe you've you know, had a relationship kind of fizzle on you or something like that. But there, you know, sometimes there's ways you can, you, know, you can see your way through it. You can muster up the courage or the strength or the energy to get through. But there's times that I would like to call beyond adrenaline, you know, where adrenaline isn't going to get you there. 
there was um, um, a, my, my daughter, uh, Jasmine, um, she takes dance like many young girls do. Um, oh, there she is. Um, the perfect little angel would be on your left uh, with the riffraff. And um, <laughs> so uh, <laughs> pay attention, you know, <laughs> watch this space. Um, but um, the sad thing is there used to be five in her class. Um, this is actually two years ago. And one of the little girls um, got very sick very quickly uh, with a disease where, I, don't, I can't even pronounce it, but it, uh, your immune system attacks your own body kind of thing. And she died um, two years ago, December 10th. Um, and can, I don't know if you can imagine, but her mom was distraught and, and had no idea where to go. And the reason I call this beyond adrenaline is it's one thing to have the adrenaline and the power to get up but if you don't have the reason to get back up, it doesn't matter if you got adrenaline. You don't have any reason. And I want to ask you, have you been in a spot, maybe a while back, maybe now, where you've been knocked down, but it's been more than a knockdown. It's actually disoriented you and, and really given you no reason to get back up. Have you felt that or have you known someone that's been there? And this is the question I think that Jesus poses to us. What do we do when we can't get back up and we don't have a reason to get back up? And that's, I think, why we need to understand what, what was he thinking going to the cross? What was he doing? And why did he come back? Well, the first thing we see when we look at um, his life in John 17.1, this, this is a prayer he prayed right before he was crucified. He was in what we call the Garden of Olives. It's on the mountain over from where we from Jerusalem where he was crucified. And um, he prays this prayer we have recorded in John 17. And what he says is Jesus spoke these things and lifting up his eyes to heaven, he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. I find that interesting. See, Jesus wasn't trying to be the hero. All these, all these sorry sods, they need some saving, so I'm going to come get them. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sacrifice myself, and I am going to save you, Lot. He wasn't doing that for his own self. His whole purpose was to glorify God the Father. That's interesting to me. Jesus wasn't the hero. He was saying, no, no, God's the one you want to be ta- paying attention to. Your Father, the one who created you, the one who sent me down here, the one who sent me to this cross. I didn't want to go. Jesus didn't want to go. He said... You know, let this cap, if possible, let this cup pass from me, but not my will, but yours. So he wasn't going, yeah, woohoo. He was, you know, he didn't want to do that. It was God the Father that said, no, you need to do that. God's the one that loved you and me that much to give his only son for you and me. I don't know if I could do that. I don't know if I could send my son Jaden in your place to, to, to rescue you. You know, I don't know if I could do that, to let him go like that. So, and I think that the interesting thing we find here is that um, he's serving another. He's serving the honor of another, not himself. I think that's key to understanding why he did this. Um, if, you're, if you're serving people and you're waiting uh, for people to give you thanks, um, <laughs> you might be waiting a long time. You know what I'm saying? Because sometimes people can be very thankless. 
for the ways you serve them and the way you try and help them and etc. And if that's the reason you're doing it, you can, you can run out of steam. You can run out of reason to do that. Yeah? But the other thing about it is, is not only that, if you're not serving God <clears throat> first, then you are actually going to be serving yourself. Because you'll be serving to get people's accolades or to get the respect or to uh, get their favor or to see a result. You'll be serving them for reasons that are for you. And when those reasons don't happen, when those results don't happen, then you lose the reason to serve. It's only when we're serving another, serving God, that we have the right motivation to serve other people. And so even when they're thankless, even when they don't care what we're doing, even when they don't respond after years of pleading and working with them and helping them and um, serving them, God's the reason we do this, not them. Here's the other reason, too, that that helps, is that you can't always give people what they need if you're serving them for yourself. Take, th- take about kids. I think about that. You know, if you're in the position, if you have kids or maybe you work with young people or something like that, um, if you're in it so that they'll show you how much they love you and, oh, you're the greatest and, you know, we love you and all that stuff, then what are you going to do when you need to get on them and discipline them and tell them, no, you can't do that to your sister? Or, you know, <laughs> what are you going to do when they need discipline? Because if you're after their gratitude, you're not going to get it if you discipline them, right? You won't be able to give them what they need. So that's why it's so important to be serving God in order to serve others well. And that's what Jesus did for us. He was, he was not serving himself. He wasn't even just serving us. He was there to glorify God, his Father. Um, I want to ask you then a couple of questions. Are you exhausted? Do you find yourself at the end of your rope? You have no desire to get back up. Now, I don't mean get back up tomorrow morning, but I mean get back in the game. To get back and serve. To get back and fix that broken relationship that you have. To get back and serve that boss that doesn't get you and um, doesn't respect what you do and doesn't see your value. Do you have, do you have, the, have you lost the motivation for those things? Perhaps it's because we've been serving for, for that praise from people and for, you know, for the accolades or for the respect or even just so things work, you know, so the relationship works or, or, or so I can feel good about myself because I've done things. You know, we're serving more for that rather than serving our Father in heaven. So think about that. Why am I? demotivated sometimes what has what has sapped that motivation all right now i got another question for you because i think there's more to what jesus did and why he did it um what gets you up in the morning uh not just the alarm clock uh that doesn't seem to work so well for me anyway um usually it's kids you know they crawl in the bed and like this you know like okay get off (laughs) um so what but what really gets you up in the morning what gets you going you know, um, I follow some sports teams. I follow some here and in the States. So um, it's kind of funny. Go Liverpool. But, um, oh, come on. All right. <laughs> I could always tell how my classes were going to go, but depending on how they, how they set with that. Um, what, I follow ice hockey, though, as well. And so my team, um, 
the Blues are in the playoffs, and so they're doing really well. Um, they're one of these sad teams, though, that that's never won the championship kind of thing, you know, so it's kind of one of those hard luck kind of things. But uh, th- they've won the last two games, so I was really excited. You know, I always get up and check the scores and see what's going on. Um, but what gets you up in the morning? What, what gets you excited to get up and look forward to the day, you know? Um, what, and, and, and sometimes we can act too spiritual about this. I mean, sometimes there's things that practically just get us going, and we love that. You know, maybe we're looking forward to, hey, maybe this is the day that I can uh, meet the one because, you know, I'm going to this party and I know somebody's going to be there, and hey, that'd be great, you know? Um, or maybe it's um, uh, you've got a, a hope for a job that you, um, you're going to have, um, you know, an interview for. I had an interview this last week, so I was kind of getting excited about what, um, what might happen there. Um, so, you know, so what is it that gets you up and gets you going? Um, when we look at Jesus, um, I find that the Bible talks about what his motivation was. In, in Hebrews 12, verse 2, um, it says, We should fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of God. For the joy set before him. What joy? Oh, torture, punishment, abandonment, betrayal. Bring it on. Yes, that'll do it. No, I don't think that was the joy that he was looking forward to. What was the joy that Jesus looked forward to? What got him through the cross? What brought him back? Well, when I think about joy, one of the things that um, just encapsulates that for me, it was the birth of my firstborn, Jaden. It's a sense of wonder and joy, um, knowing that this little sucker, I mean, they're looking to you. There's nobody else they're going to look to, not just for food and stuff like that, but, but to set boundaries in their life, to discern what they're good at or what they're not, to encourage them, to... Uh, you know, get on their case when they, you know, they need correcting. You know, all that stuff they're looking to you for. And that's an amazing, humbling feeling, but there's a lot of joy knowing that you can pour yourself into that one. You know, a lot of the stuff maybe other people wouldn't listen to, you can pour into that one. Um, it's, a, it's a cool feeling. Um, I think, though, sometimes we find that what our joy is is insignificant. It's more like the sports games, you know, um, you know, because that gets me going. I love, love seeing what they've done and watching the replays and all this stuff. Um, but it's kind of pointless in some sense, isn't it? You know, I mean, at, a point, at some point they're going to lose. <laughs> uh, and so do, do I let my life go up and down in how I feel about life and how I approach it according to how my sports teams have done? I have to be honest, I've done that before. Do you know people that get grumpy when their sports teams lose? Yeah, and they're like, okay, avoid that person today. <laughs> they lost. Yeah, and, and, and I, I wonder if, if our joy is in the smaller things, the inconsequential things, then we're not going to have the ability to go on, to, to press through that, to treat people the way we need to because we're up and down with that stuff. Now, the birth of a child, that's, that's a little more significant. You know, we can, we can invest in that. That can be a a joy um, that is more significant than sports or whatever. Um, but it's not the only thing that, need, that a hope needs to be. A hope needs to be not only significant, but also needs to be powerful. And so, you know, I ask, what, what was Jesus' hope? What was his joy that he did? Well, uh, that he did this for. Well, we see um, 
15.7. All right. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons uh, who, and let me just parenthesize, think they need no repentance. Um, when you've had someone that's walked away from a relationship, have you had that? Have you had a broken friendship, a broken relationship in your family, you know, somebody that, um, where it's soured? And they've walked away from you. And that relationship, whether it's your fault or their fault or whatever, um, you've had it broken. One of the most amazing things in the world is to see somebody come back to apologize, to sincerely actually mean it, to really own it and apologize and seek that reconciliation with you. Have you experienced that? That is a precious thing. That's something more significant than, than anything, because you can't coerce it. You can't make people do it. I've tried. It doesn't work. Um, uh, you can't make that happen. It has to be something that they do within themselves and that the two people come together. And see, this is what I think, why heaven rejoices when a sinner comes back, when one of us who's, who's chosen to reject God and to go our own way and live life our own way, and, and when we've come to a point where we say, you know what, this ain't working. This is not right. And we come back to God and say, you know what? I've messed up. I've been selfish. I've done things my way, not yours. I've ignored you. I'm sorry. I'm wrong. Will you, will you take me back? Will you, will you help me live life a different way? That is more precious in, in, in sight of heaven than anything else. I hope you can see why. Why that's such a unique and rare thing. Because it's just not something we can make happen. You can't set a schedule and, and, and make someone get there. You can't do that. It doesn't happen that way. Well, okay, that's nice. But then why couldn't Jesus have just died? You know, made it okay, right? He's, he's, he's taking care of our sins. How did he do that? Because that, that walking away from God required the death penalty. Because God is, is the source of life. He's where life comes from. So you turn your back on the source of life. Well, the only thing left is death. Um, That's death in a life that doesn't work, but it's also a life that ends in death. And the problem with that is that I can't help you out and you can't help me out. I can't take your penalty because I got a death sentence of my own that I incurred on myself. So I can't really take your penalty for you because I'd just be taking mine. You see... We needed somebody else to help us out to take my penalty and your penalty for you. But it had to be someone that didn't deserve it, didn't have a sentence already over their head. And that's what Jesus did. He lived a perfect life. He lived a life that was turned to God, that was living in relationship with the source of life rather than against it. And yet, even though he didn't deserve to die, he died instead of you and me. So that you and I, he took our death and you and I could take his life and have his life in us and be restored to the source of life. That's what he did. That kind of exchange happened. But why did he, why did he not leave it there? He said, okay, they're sorted. I've taken their penalty. They're good, right? Not so much. Because see, what Jesus came to do was not just reconcile you and I to God, but he came to do something more than that. 
He came to give you that new life that transforms your life. Because see, if he had just left it at the cross and then went straight to heaven without rising again, right? He would have left you and me in the same spot. We would have sinned the next day or even the next second and been right back where we started. We wouldn't have gotten anywhere. We wouldn't have been any different. But what he wanted to do was make you and I different and transform our lives. Um, and so we read in um, 1 Corinthians 15, uh, 15. There we go. That's where it is. Um, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You're still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. In other words, without the resurrection, the cross doesn't do anything. It doesn't do anything for us. We need to be transformed. But um, his hope, the hope that he had, is more powerful. We read in Romans 5.10 that we are saved by his life. We are saved by his life. We're reconciled to God through the death of his son. And much more, we've been reconciled. We, have, we shall be saved by his life. Save. See, he didn't come just to give you some status so you can walk around going, I'm saved. He wants you to literally be saved in every aspect of your life. He wants you to be able to take those tough situations, those knockdown situations we talked about, um, and, and to be able to get through those. He wants you to be able to say no to the stuff that, that took you away from 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 God in a relationship with the source of life. He wants to have that transformed life. And that's why he came back. Now, Adrian Warnock summarizes this as well. He says, without the resurrection, uh, we would still be in our sins. Without the resurrection, we are lost and there's no hope. There's no salvation without a living Jesus. We need the resurrection to have its power generating effect inside of us if we are to be born again. We really are Saved by his life. Not his death. We're saved by his life. His resurrected life. And that's the hope that we have. Now let me ask you. Where, is, where does your... What kind of hope do you have? I mean, not, not in this big pie in the sky hope, but I mean like day to day. You know, that what I asked you before, what gets you out of bed? What is your hope? Is it significant? Are we hoping in significant things? Things that matter. Or we, is our hope up and down with the little stuff? And secondly, does the hope, is the hope powerful? Does that have a power to change who you are? Because if my hope is in something that's just going to change my circumstances, then when circumstances change again, I lose the job I just got, I, my, the relationship I just got just breaks up, then I'm back to square one again. I haven't changed. I haven't become any different. Where is your hope? What kind of hope do you have? There's a third thing, a last thing that I think um, is very significant about why Jesus rose again. Have you ever noticed that in depictions of Jesus, the risen Jesus, there are scars? Yeah? Now, why would there be scars? He has just gotten a resurrected new body. Like he promises that you and I will have if we trust him and believe in him. This is a cool body, by the way. I'd like to, I can't wait to have one of these. Because it's, he's not a, he wasn't a ghost. He could eat. So food didn't just fall right through or anything. <laughs> um, 
But it, he's got this great, cool new body, but it's got scars on it. Why would he have scars? Why would that not, you know, because the new bodies we're going to have, we're not going to have sickness and, and, and disease and all that stuff. It's going to be gone. So why would he still have the scars? I think this is an interesting thing to note. In Hebrews 2, 9 and 10, it says this. We see him who was made for a little while lower than the angels, namely Jesus, because of the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. Okay, that's what he did. For it was fitting for him, for whom are all things, and through whom are all things, in bringing many sons and daughters to glory, to perfect the author of their salvation through sufferings. To perfect Jesus through sufferings. Wow, I thought Jesus was perfect. Hang on. So how did Jesus get perfected? What is that about? Well, I think we learn what, what was going on with Jesus, what, how he's being perfected when we understand um, what he was actually up to and what God's actually up to. What is God really after? What does he really want to do here? Um, you know, he could have, like I said earlier, he could have just called it good from afar, couldn't he have? And just said, okay, you guys are good. All that murder and lying and gossip and adultery and all those stuff you've been doing, that, we'll call it good. He could have done that, couldn't he have? Except the problem is that makes life insignificant. It makes life unimportant. The things that you do don't really matter, whether you do something good or do something bad, right? It, does, it makes life insignificant. But what makes life significant is that God is building something eternal. God's building something permanent. See, it's not going to be at the end of time that God's going to poof, make everything as it should be, and, and therefore it'll be, it'll be nice. It'll be great. He's actually trying to make that happen now through you and through me. He's trying to bring eternity into the present right here. How's he doing that? Well, what he wants us to do is to, to develop the kind of character that includes stuff that is permanent. You know, so many times in my life, I'm up and down with stuff. You know, I'm not consistent. Oh, wouldn't you love to be consistent with everything you did? Because my kids are always calling me out on it, and that's, it's not great. It's, it's, um, and and I, want to, I want to have that kind of consistency, that kind of thing to my life that's permanent. Um, one way we can understand this is to look at um, that ver- the verses we looked at earlier um, in 1 Peter 1. It says this. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now, for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, it's more precious than gold, that proof of your faith, that's interesting, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in the praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Wow. Did you know that stuff you do right here, right now, can be more precious than gold, can have an eternal value? Your day today, right here, can, can be full of stuff that's going to completely last, cannot be forgotten, cannot be wiped out, cannot be undermined. You can do that. You can have a life that means something for eternity, for all time. That's an amazing thought, I think. But how is that? How is it we can do that? Well, one thing, 
we have to understand is that what God, God is trying to build is stuff that isn't just, doesn't happen in an instant. If I want endurance, I mentioned race, uh, you know, running earlier. Um, I'm starting to try and run again. <clears throat> so, okay, jog, walk. Okay, maybe just walk. But um, we're getting, you know, we're, gonna, we're on this road trying to get some endurance again, right? But endurance just doesn't happen. You can't just go, poof, you've got endurance. Um, you know, here's a banana. But, <laughs> but um, potassium, it's good for endurance. Um, but you can't do that. It's something that takes time to work through. The kind of things, projects that God's up to are joint projects. The projects where he has to work, but you have to work too. And we work together. And those are the kinds of things that have that lasting type meaning. So for instance, in, in, in this endurance, I have to continually get out there and try again and try again. And sometimes I'll miss a day or two and and I'll have some stuff that I probably shouldn't be eating. But, you know, um, but, but then I get back up the next day and I get at it again. And I get at it again, right? And that's how I eventually get there, right? It doesn't happen overnight. And that's the same kind of stuff that God is working with in you and me. If I can bring up um, the girl I mentioned earlier. Her mom did not know what to do, um, was lost, as I think any of us would have been. Um, and Natalia decided to go on a walk of the of Great Britain. Not didn't do Northern Ireland, but just, you know, the coastline. Um, and she spent all last year doing this. And she's raised over a hundred thousand pounds uh for uh children's uh, research for uh, these this particular disease as well as other diseases for Bristol Hospital um in this time. But the thing about it is is she's a Christian and she felt that God was helping her get back up every day. You know, there were days that she didn't want to, didn't care, couldn't find the reason to, even on that walk. But she kept meeting people that were impacted by what she did and, and who she was. And even though she may not have felt like she had anything to give, God was able to still use her and touch other people because she kept getting back up. She kept getting back up each day, putting one foot in front of the other. I think sometimes that's, that's the triumph in life. It's not that adrenaline rush, look, I conquered them, or I, I had a uh, you know, more witty comeback than they did, or you know, I was able to climb the ladder in, in my job and, and get up to the top. Or It's not that stuff. It's sometimes it's just the getting back up one more time. In fact, Proverbs, my favorite Proverbs, says this, and I'm going to close with this, is that Proverbs 24.16 says, For the righteous falls seven times, but rises again. But the wicked stumble in the day of calamity. The righteous rises again. It's not how many times you stumble. And sometimes when I'm talking about stumbling, I mean messing up. You know, maybe you have an addiction. I've had addictions. And you go, and you know they're bad, and you're not good for you, and you try and try and try different ways, and you keep messing up. And you can let yourself wallow in that. Because you feel unworthy, you feel stupid. You're like, you know, you know better. You know that? We, we know better from most of the stuff that we mess up on. It's not like revelation, hello, that was wrong. We get that. And we feel so stupid and, and worthless. We feel, oh, I'm just crud, you know. And you don't want to get back up. What I'm telling you is at that very moment, you have a decision to make. Do you get back up or not? Do you let that mess up eat more of your life 
Eat more of your time. Eat more of your heart and your emotion, how you feel about yourself. Eat more of your time to be able to go and help others. Eat more of who you are in how you see yourself. Do you let that mess up, eat more of you, or do you get back up and say, yeah, I messed up, that wasn't right, I'm not denying it, I'm not putting it under the rug, but are you going to get back up and trust Christ again and to help you? Are you going to do that? Because it's in the getting up that God evaluates you and me. I've been struggling with getting job for I don't know how long. It's been years and years and years. And I've been through jobs and, and had all kinds of crazy, uh, long stories, I won't tell you. You can ask me later. But, um, and it's been horrible. And when I, when I look at my prospects, I feel horrible about myself because sometimes I just go, oh, maybe I just don't got it. Maybe, maybe I'm just lame. You know, or maybe I'm looking in all the wrong places. If I just had that one one place to look, I would get the job, and then I'd be made. You know, I'd have the position, and I'd have the respect, and I'd have the the security, the financial security, and all that kind of stuff, right? But that's not how God sees me, and I can't look at myself that way because I'll, it, it never looks great. There's always something to mess mess up the works. God says, "Are you going to get back up? Are you going to try one more time?" Because you know what? He's building something in me and he's building something in, he wants to build something in you that's permanent. And what he's building in me is I'm resilient. I don't let stuff knock me down. Yeah, I'll get, I'll get knocked down, but I'll get right back up. And if I'm tempted, if I've, I get stuff coming against me, if I've got people against me, if I've got people that uh, betray me, if I get all that stuff coming against me, I'm still going to choose and I'm still going to choose to get back up. And that's something that's permanent, something that lasts, something that can't be defeated because you're going to continue on that path no matter what, even if you mess up. So my question to you today is this. Are you going to get back up? Are you going to do what Christ did and come back? Are you going to follow him? What greater testimony to his life today, to his resurrected life, than you and I not going on the street corner and shouting it, but getting back up to our families who we may have not treated well and getting back engaged with them humbly or getting back on that job search or getting back after messing up with that addiction and and trying again and getting some more accountability and trying to work at it and keep going. Or keep seeking that relationship that you want, that you have. Right? Are you going to get back up? That's the thing that I think honors Christ the most. So, let me ask you again. Who are you serving? Are you serving yourself or are you serving another? Are you serving one that, that will guide how you serve others? Are, and then what is your hope? What is your hope? Is it something temporary? Or is it significant? And does it have the power to change you? Because you're not serving that. If you don't have that kind of hope, you're not going to get through. You're not going to get through these times like Natalia went through or other things that are just as bad. And then my other thing is, how do you evaluate yourself? Is God building something eternal in you? Even though it's not grand at the moment, is he building something of character that will honor him not because you've been perfect. It wasn't, you know, that, that verse is the righteous fall seven times. 
I thought righteous were perfect. No, they're not perfect. The righteous are the ones that are rightly related to God. They fall. You and I fall. But they rise again. And that's the important thing. That's how we can honor the risen Christ. Will you stand with me? For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk.